Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. We will finally finish the 12th chapter of Matthew. I know we've been in it for a few weeks, but it is a long chapter. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 818. And as you turn there, I want to talk to you a little bit about family resemblance. I want to share some stories from my own life. You don't necessarily know this, but my brother and I don't exactly look like my dad. If you just saw us out in the open, you might not connect us. But there were two times where people truly saw the family resemblance. The first was my involvement in one of our high school musicals. I was playing an older character, and so they put makeup on me to make me look older. They gave me a bunch of wrinkles, and then they gave me a pair of glasses. And as the curtain opened on opening weekend, my mom gasped, George. (laughs) The other time was when my brother, and he could pull this off a little more, he's a little taller than me, but he actually went to his high school one year on Halloween dressed as my dad. Now, this only works when half of the high school was either a former patient or a current patient of my dad's pediatric clinic, and in a small town it works. But when he added a pillow under his shirt, when he added some glasses and a stethoscope, it was quite the splash at our high school when everybody noticed their favorite pediatrician. But we know that family resemblance doesn't end with merely physical traits. In fact, you might argue that some of the strongest resemblance isn't physical or genetic. A couple years ago, I went down to Portland to celebrate my cousin's 40th birthday party. This was because I am one of the West Coast Schultzes. But we were going to go see Paul, who's one of the Kapler Schultzes. And as a part of that, Paul's mom and dad came out from Minnesota before where they were previously the Minnesota Schultzes. And we were joined by some of the Missouri Schultzes, my cousin Andrew and Christopher, who moved to our town in Missouri after we moved, but they've been there longer now, so they are the Missouri Schultzes, even though we were there first. But as a part of this, my cousin Christopher brought his girlfriend, now wife, and as a part of introductions, Christopher introduced me as a cousin, but then he said that I was the Schultziest Schultz of that generation to give her a taste of what she was getting herself into. He explained that Michelle had met His dad, James Schultz, the older, who is very similar to my dad, and they are very Schultzy in their Schultziness. But if you wanted to see what it looked like at the time under 40, you should look at me. Today, in our text, Jesus is going to use the metaphor of a family to understand what it means to be a disciple of his. And at the center, one of the pictures that Jesus gives us for being 
a follower of him and a worshiper of God is do we share the family resemblance? So with that in mind, let's turn to the text. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 46. Follow along as I read. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? This passage is at the end of the chapter, and in verse 13, we're going to switch to an extended parable. So it really is summarizing a lot of this chapter. And so it says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Now, I just want to deal with this in case it causes any confusion. If you're following along in your ESV, you'll notice that the scripture skips from verses 46 to 48. Now, that means there's some debate as to whether verse 47 is original. And your Bible probably has a footnote that says something like this. Someone told him, your mothers and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. Now, again, that doesn't really change a lot. And a lot of times this happens when there are different parallel stories in the gospel. And in Mark's accounting of the story, we're added a little bit as to why Mary and Jesus' siblings wanted to talk to him. So I'm reading from Mark chapter 3. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that he could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Now before we get to Jesus' response to his family, I want you to notice a couple facts about Jesus' family in this passage. Again, sometimes we sanitize the details of Jesus, that he lived a real life. He had a family. In fact, Jesus had brothers and sisters, and for those who have brothers and sisters, Jesus knows what it's like to have siblings. Also, insert joke about the oldest child literally being perfect and walking on water. Now, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, you were likely taught the doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary, but as you can see from this, that was not the case. Mary and Joseph had other kids. And also, just as a sort of fun fact, we know that Jesus had brothers and sisters. We see this more explicitly in Matthew chapter 13, where the people, he's in Nazareth, and they're rejecting him because they knew him back when. And they say this about Jesus, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not his sisters here with us? So Jesus had a family. He knew what it was like to have brothers and sisters. And again, I think it's helpful to see the normalness of the life that Jesus had 
and he knows what we go through. He knows what it's like to have a family, the joys and the challenges. But with that being said, let's look at his response to them. Okay, so Jesus is talking, and he's told, hey, your family wants to talk to you. Let's look, verses 49 and 50. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Instead of going out and joining his family and seeing what they want, Jesus gestures out toward his disciples. And with that gesture, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. And just as a quick note, the fact that Jesus says, my mother and my brothers, in addition to being a reference to who is outside, it helps us to see that when Jesus is talking about the disciples here. He's not necessarily just referring to the twelve. You know, one of the blessings of the gospel accounts is their portrayal of the female followers of Jesus. And on more than one occasion, they are actually seen as more faithful disciples than their male counterparts. Luke chapter 8 lists a couple of women who provided for them out of their means. These female disciples funded Jesus' ministry. And we also see women disciples at the cross. Matthew chapter 27 says, There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And even more in the Easter story, women disciples are the very first witnesses of the resurrection. And one of the reasons I bring this up is that while the twelve had a special place of leadership in the early church, this description is for all believers in Jesus. So we then need to ask, So how are the disciples around Jesus, his mother and brothers? Let's look at verse 50 there. For or because whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Who is it that belongs to Jesus' family? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Well, now then, we need to ask, what does it mean to do the will of the Father? Let me begin by saying I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of what it means to do the will of God. There's one particular faulty view that I see time and time again, and that is that doing the will of God is like a multiple choice quiz. You have two or more choices before you, and you'd better choose the right one or you might mess up the will of God for your life. Things like what job you should take, where you should live, who you should marry, where you should go to college. 
We will get more into this in a second. But let me clearly say that those decisions that I'm describing are between two good things, not necessarily choosing between what is sin and what is right. Because there's often clarity there. Should I sin? Should I not sin? Go with not sin. But sometimes when we're choosing between things that are not necessarily sin or not sin, there is a fear we have about choosing the wrong one that paralyzes us from making any decisions at all. But this is not what Jesus has in mind here. It does concern the decisions we make, but not like a multiple-choice quiz. A life that does the will of God is this. Belief in Jesus Christ as your Savior, which leads to a life of holiness following Jesus' example and his commands. Let me give you some scriptures from other parts of the Bible that help us to understand what this looks like. Now, the first verse I'm going to use admittedly does not specifically say will of God, but rather work of God, but in the context, it's close enough. John 6, 28 and 29. Then they said to him, we must, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered him, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You cannot follow Jesus as a disciple, without placing your trust in him. This is the decision of faith that begins a full life of discipleship. When you ask, what does God want from me? What does the God of the universe want from me? It all begins with placing your faith in his Savior, Jesus Christ. But that then leads to these other expressions. So what do I do now? What does God want for me? How do I do his will in my life? Another helpful verse is 1 Peter chapter 2. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So many of the commands of Scripture and the pattern of life that Jesus gave to us can be summarized as doing good. Again, what does God want from you? To do good to others. And we've talked about this before. There's so much freedom in this idea of do good. Again, we're not paralyzed by fear, but we're seeking to serve and love others. This is very much in line with what Jesus says elsewhere of of summarizing the commandments as love your neighbor as yourself. Again, there's a freedom, there's an ease to saying, what does God want from me? He wants me to love my neighbor. He wants me to do good to others. He wants me to serve and love. Another helpful verse is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, a very explicit statement at the beginning, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, 
that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. That word sanctification means to be made holy. And it's used in two ways in the Bible. One, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are made holy. But it also describes a lifelong, continual growth in holiness. One of my favorite phrases in the Bible is that we are being conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That word sanctification is us being conformed to Jesus and growing in holiness and godliness. This adds another aspect to doing good. To live a life of holiness in our actions and our character. That we live a life of moral purity, not sexual immorality. And that we live with self-control and honor in all that we do. As God himself said earlier in 1 Peter, you shall be holy for I am holy. These verses help us to understand what it means for each of us to show that we are brothers and sisters of Jesus by living lives according to the will of God. We are to live lives of doing good to others. We are to live lives of holiness in all that we say and think and do. Those who belong to Jesus by faith show they are brothers and sisters of Jesus by living lives according to the will of God. Now there's an important distinction here. As one author writes about this, He says, we do not make ourselves Jesus' close relatives by doing the will of his heavenly Father. Rather, doing the Father's will identifies us as his mother and sisters and brothers. When we live according to the will of God, when we live like Jesus and according to his commands, we show our family resemblance. Now, we know there's a danger between saying what we believe in value and what our actions say we believe in value. I once heard someone, I I can't remember who it was, so I can't give them credit. And this was before smartphones, so forgive the, I'll explain the outdated uh, technology in just a second to those under 40. Um, They said this, show me your calendar and your checkbook, and I'll tell you what you value. Our actions are often more truthful than our words. And I think that's important here. I can claim all day that I'm a follower of Jesus, but it's actually believable when you see it in my life. When you see it in what I do, that I live according to his will, not my own. That I demonstrate the family resemblance. So what does it mean for you 
to do the will of the Father in your life today. As I was thinking about how we might break this down, as as we think about our own lives, I thought of two basic categories. Stopping some things and starting other things. I want you to think of these as you consider how you might better live according to the will of God. Think of this in terms of actions, words, thoughts, character. But let's start with that idea of something that you need to change. Is there a sin in your life that that you need to repent of today? Or is there a sinful or unhealthy pattern that needs to change in your life? Is there a sinful or unhealthy aspect of your character that needs to be conformed to the will of God, not just what you want to do? Or is there a part of your life that you've been living according to your own will or the will of the outside culture? In what ways is God telling you to live differently? And oftentimes, that begins by saying, this far and no more. And putting to death some sin in your life or an unhealthy pattern. So that's that takeaway. Maybe God's telling you, today's the day to repent of that thing. Secondly, another category, something you need to add. Is there an aspect of of godly character of service that you need to nurture and grow in? Is there an action of service that you need to say yes to? It's hard to know what you have to say yes to and what you have to say no to. But I want you to wrestle with, as we've talked about, what do I need to say no to? but, But then... Oftentimes, we say no to things, but then we don't replace them with a positive. So what do you need to say yes to as a part of being conformed to the will of God? Is there some service or or work in your family that needs to happen? How is God calling you to live differently in your neighborhood? To serve your neighbors? Sometimes it's just finding that thing. One of my things, because I'm from the Midwest, and because I'm the only man under 60 on my road, that 24 hours we have snow, because we're on a hill that's on a dead end, I shovel that snow. Again, it's a small thing, but it's like the thing that I do every year in my neighborhood. It's not a huge thing. Again, I'm like one of the only males on my road that doesn't have a lifting restriction. (laughs) But it's a part of being conformed to living according to the will of God. How am I serving others? How are we serving in, in our church here? 
Again, this is one of these spheres that, that it's good to have regular service to the family of God. How is God calling you to be conformed to his will in your job? How you relate to your coworkers, how you relate to your boss, how you relate to those under your authority? Or more generally, do you need to make a plan to better practice the spiritual disciplines like Bible study or prayer or rest? So that's another thing. Sometimes we fail to be conformed to the will of God because we don't make a good plan. Or we think we need to jump and like, tomorrow I'm going to pray for two hours straight. How do you need to make a plan for you to create lasting change in your life today? Again, just broadly speaking, what is God calling you to do in obedience to him? And whether it's something to change or to add, what do you need to do to make that happen? Is it telling the truth about how you're living today? Is it making that plan to make sure it happens? Is it getting accountability from someone else in your life? I don't know what God is saying to you through this. And it's one of these things that there are as many applications as there are people. But I want you to be open to this call to live a life according to the will of God and not what is God calling someone else to do to obey that, but what am I willing to do to obey that? Next, I want to note, doing the will of the Father shows the world we belong to the Father. Good works do not create our relationship to God. Good works are a sign that we have a relationship with God. By living according to God's will, we show that we are God's children, brothers, and sisters of Jesus Good works do not make you a part of the family, but they show the family resemblance. We show the world we belong to Jesus by living lives according to his will. Last thing I want to say is sort of turning that on its head. So we show we belong to God by living like him. But when we act like children of God, we can actually point people back to our Heavenly Father. Let me give you one more story about family resemblance, but it's sort of in the opposite direction. A couple of years ago, I was the MC for our kids' school auction. I know you guys can't see me doing something like that. But after doing that, I heard this story from one of the other parents at the school. As she watched me at the auction, and I didn't know her at the time, she said to, to herself, that must be Theodore's dad. <laughs> See, she knew Theodore, she didn't know me. But knowing Theodore, when she saw me, she said, well, that must be Theodore's dad. The other examples of family resemblance are based off of knowing the older family member first and seeing the resemblance in the younger generations. 
But what about when you meet the younger generation first? What happens when people meet God's children before they meet him? If after people seeing our lives, when they read the Bible and get introduced to the Heavenly Father, that we would live in such a way that they would say, this must be the Father of those people that I have seen love and serve me. And in that way, living according to the will of our Father is one of the ways that we introduce people to a relationship with Jesus. To use a passage from earlier in Matthew chapter 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning that we would truly live lives that show the family resemblance. That in all that we would do, that we would live according to your will and not ours. And that we would show ourselves to be your children, the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. God, that you would speak to each of us today of what you are calling each of us to do, whether that's something to change or something to add, an area of character to grow in, a place of service to say yes to, but that in all that we do, we would bring glory to you by living according to your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Greenbank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.